my personal grief was not my primary concern. When we lost my mother in 2011, I, of course, was very sad. She uh, passed away at the age of 61. But my primary concerns were twofold. I thought about my dad. Been married, they were married for 40 years, and I was concerned about him and his grief. And I couldn't help but think about my kids losing their grandma. Because my mom was a wonderful grandmother. She just really was. And she loved uh, buying things for the boys. And then uh, we had Abby Faith. She had a granddaughter. My brother had a daughter. And she loved buying them dresses and making them dresses. And she was just a wonderful grandmother. And I couldn't help but wonder why. Why now? I mean, this is the sweet spot of life, right? You have your grandkids to pour into and love on. Why now? I'm a pastor, I've been to seminary and all of that, but I still found myself deep in the recesses of my heart wondering why. And if we're honest, we've all found ourselves in places in life where we've asked that same exact question. Well, I've got good news for you. We're going to see in our study this morning that we can identify with someone who over 2,000 years ago asked similar questions. We're going to identify with what he asked and why he asked them and how God responded. We're going to let the Lord minister to us in these moments. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Now if you have problems finding Habakkuk, it's right between Nahum and Zephaniah. Does that help you? If that doesn't help you, just go to the table of contents and look it up and turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. We are beginning a study through this wonderful book in God's Word. Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why, notice that word, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And then in verse 5, we see the Lord's answer to these questions posed by Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Let's pray. Father, we pause to give you glory because you're the only one worthy of glory. And we pause, Lord, to confess once again our desperate need for you. Lord, we believe with all of our heart that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Lord, if you do not meet with us, if you do not work in us during these moments, this will be wasted time. And so, Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you will take your Word and grip our hearts with it. 
that we might understand these truths and understand them in such a way that we are moved to apply them to our lives. Lord, have your way in this place. May the strong name of Jesus be lifted up. Well, thank you, Lord, for that grace. I ask that you would establish my steps today in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The book of Habakkuk is found in the midst of a grouping of books in the Bible that is commonly referred to as the Minor Prophets. And these books are called the Minor Prophets, not because the message is minor, but because of the length of the books. When you compare them to the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, these minor prophetic books are shorter in length. For example, Habakkuk is only three chapters long. But don't let the brevity of the books fool you. These books are filled with wonderful truths uh, that we need to learn and take hold of and apply to our lives. Now, we know that the writer of this book was Habakkuk. We see him mentioned there in verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And we don't know much about Habakkuk other than he was a prophet. It says there, He was Habakkuk the prophet. That's pretty much all we know about him. We also know roughly uh, the time period in which this book was written because of some internal clues in the book. We know that this book was written somewhere between probably 609 and 605 BC. So wait, how do you know that? Well, we know that because of some of the things that this book says. For example, look what it says in chapter 1 verse 6. For behold, I am Raising up the Chaldeans, another title for the Babylonians. I'm raising up the the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. We see that this time period in which Habakkuk wrote these words was a time period in which God was raising up the Babylonian Empire. Now we know that the Babylonians overthrew the Assyrians, who were the dominant world power at the time, in 612 BC. So they're raising up... uh, by God, probably coincided with them overthrowing Assyria, which happened around 612 B.C. We also know that Habakkuk wrote this book in a time of great spiritual darkness among God's people. And we know from looking at the history of the nation of Judah that, that right before the Babylonians conquered them, they were in a time of great spiritual decay. But right before that time, they had experienced a great spiritual revival. There was a king named Josiah. And Josiah led them to all these uh, wonderful religious reforms. And the people of God turned back to the one true God. But then Josiah died in a battle with the Egyptians. And the next king was, was Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim led them back down the road of idolatry, back down the road of evil. And that time period was a dark, dark time. And we see... That's what's happening here in this book. The people of God had turned their back once again on God, which would line up with this period of time. So uh, we know it's probably somewhere between Babylon coming to power, 612 B.C., coinciding with the, the, the decay of the nation, which happened after Josiah's death in 609, and before the Babylonians actually attacked Judah in 605. So that's kind of how we narrowed down the time period in which it was written. We know this happened before Babylon attacked Uh, Jerusalem, because God says, I'm going to send them, but they have not been sent as of the writing of this book. Now, when we think about what was happening, the world stage was shifting, and there was great spiritual decline among God's people. Now, here's the question. Does that sound familiar? 
Think about it. The world was in tumult, and people were turning away from God in record numbers. Does that sound familiar as we look at the landscape of our world? Does it seem like things are tumultuous out there? Do you see what's happening on the world scene? All of the uncertainty and all of the conflict all over the globe. And, and we see that people are turning away from the one true God uh, in great, great numbers. And so we can identify uh, with the time period in which Habakkuk wrote this book. Now, if you look there in your notes, I've given you a, a, just a quick outline of the book because I like outlines. They help me to understand things and process them better. And just a simple way to understand what's happening in this book. First of all, in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, there's a, a question and answer session between Habakkuk and God. That's found in the first 11 verses of chapter 1. Then there's a, a second question and answer session that starts in chapter 1, verse 12, and goes through the end of chapter 2 again. Habakkuk has some questions, and God responds to Habakkuk. And then, chapter 3, we see Habakkuk's prayer of response to all that God had said to him. Now, it's interesting to know that Habakkuk's name means to wrestle And it also means to embrace. It can be translated either way. And it's interesting to note that in this book, Habakkuk wrestles with God. But at the end of the book, Habakkuk embraces God and his will and his way. So his name uh, fits well with what happens and transpires in this book. And and I've given you there a one-sentence summary written by Dr. Kendall Easley of the book of Habakkuk, so that if you're at work tomorrow and somebody says, can you tell me what the book of Habakkuk is about? You can have an answer. You ready? Look there in your notes. When Habakkuk asked God questions about the nature of evil and its punishment, God answered by revealing his righteousness and sovereignty, and the prophet then responded with worship and faith. That's what the book's about. That's where we're headed as we work our way through this book. Now, some might question the relevance of a small, obscure book written over 2,600 years ago. You might be sitting there this morning thinking, does that book, Habakkuk, I can barely pronounce it, does it have anything to say to me in my life situation today? And the answer is a resounding yes. And I want to spend this first sermon helping you to see the relevance of the book of Habakkuk for your life. And so let me give you three reasons that this book is relevant for you and relevant for me today. Number one, it's relevant because we can identify with Habakkuk's questions. We can identify with Habakkuk's questions. Habakkuk asked God two questions in this first encounter with him. Look what it says there in verse 2. O Lord... How long, notice that, how long shall I cry for help? The first question is, how long? He was surrounded by evil and iniquity. God's people were turning their back on the one true God. And and everywhere Habakkuk looked, he saw people getting away with evil, getting away with depravity. And he's thinking, God, how long do you come and clean up this mess? How long do you come and deal with all this evil? How long? long. Now you and I are prone to ask the question how long when we are hurting and we want the hurting to stop. Habakkuk was hurting over the spiritual condition of his people and he wanted it to stop. And when we find ourselves in a situation in life 
where we are hurting, we just want the hurting to end, right? And we find ourselves asking the question, how long? Lord, how long will my child be in rebellion against you? How long will I struggle with this health concern? How long will I deal with this overwhelming grief in my soul? How long will I deal with these financial pressures? How long? We just want the pain to end. And that's what Habakkuk was saying here. I I wanted to stop so we can identify with that question, how long? We ask this question when our physical, emotional, and spiritual patience runs thin. How many of you have ever, ever run out of patience? Raise your hand. Sure, all of us have. And we're thinking, God, enough of this. I wanted to stop. How long? But that's not the only question that Habakkuk asked. He asked another question. The question, why? Look in verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Why, God? Why am I seeing all of this ungodliness around me? Why are you not doing anything about it? Why? 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 Now you know, don't you, that life will eventually have you asking the why question. In this world, you will have trouble. And many times, we don't know why God has allowed the trouble. And, and, and we want to know, don't we, God? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this pain? Why are you allowing this circumstance? Why are you allowing this situation? Life will eventually having you, have you ask the why question. God, why have you allowed this in my life? life. And if you're honest, at some point in your life, even if you didn't articulate it out loud, deep in the recesses of your heart, you've asked the question, why? So we can identify with the questions that Habakkuk asked. His questions dealt with justice. With justice. Look what it says in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted he's saying here he's saying why do bad people get away with evil everywhere i look there are people doing the wrong thing and it seems as if god they're getting away with it that doesn't seem just that doesn't seem right so he has questions that that deal with this sense of justice and his questions also deal with god's character look what he says in verse 2 how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or, or cry to you violence and you will not save? In other words, he's saying, you're not hearing my prayers. You're not delivering the righteous from this mess. You're not responding to me when I call out to you. Look what he says in verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? He's saying, I see the evil, God, don't you? He's calling into question here the the character of God. In in effect, what Habakkuk is saying is, God, don't you care? And sometimes life will be so devastating that we'll wonder the same thing. God, don't you care? He has questions here about God's character. And his questions arise from personal desperation. 
Look what he says in verse 2. He uses the word cry twice. It's translated in our English Bibles, cry. But the two words are different words in the original Hebrew language. For example, the first word is found in the first part of verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? That word is the word shavah, which is the simple Simple word for calling out for help, calling out for assistance. So, so God, I'm calling out for you to help me. But then he says in the latter part of verse 2, or cry to you violence and you will not save. That word cry is the word zawak. It means, listen, to cry out in distress and horror. So he's asking God for help. He's crying out. But he's also crying out in absolute horror over his situation. These questions arise from personal desperation. How long? Why? God, I'm hurting. How long? Why? Things are spinning out of control. How long? Why? We can identify with these questions. You know, my children ask me a lot of questions. You know what it's like if you have little ones. They ask a lot of questions, don't they? And sometimes it can, you know, tax your patience. But the reason that little ones ask their parents questions is because you know things they don't know. And they know you know things they don't know. So they want to know what you know. And so they're going to ask a bunch of questions to try to get your insight on things they don't know about. They know that compared to you, their, their insight is limited. So they want some answers. Well, isn't it the same when it comes to us and God, God knows a lot of things we don't know, right? As a matter of fact, God knows everything, and we are limited. We are finite in our understanding, and so it's a very natural thing for finite creatures to ask infinite God questions because we know he knows things we don't know, but we want to know what he knows. So it's a very natural thing for us to ask questions. We can identify with what Habakkuk is doing here. Habakkuk is asking some very hard questions. But there's a second reason that this book is relevant to your life. We are reminded in this book of God's sovereignty in all of life. Now the word sovereignty simply means that God is in control. That God is calling the shots. That God is king over the universe. And this book, this interaction between Habakkuk and God is a poignant reminder of the sovereignty of God. You see, God is in control and he's always working to fulfill his divine purposes. Look what it says in verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days. You don't understand it, Habakkuk? You, don't, you, can't, you can't contemplate what I'm doing. You can't, you can't wrap your mind around it. You don't see it, but, but Habakkuk, I'm doing a work. And look over in chapter 2, verse 14. He reminds Habakkuk of where human history is headed. Look what he says. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Say, wait, I look at the landscape of history. I look at uh, current events, and I wonder, where's all of this headed? Verse 14 tells you, when the dust settles on human history, everyone will recognize the majestic glory of the one true God. 
That's where everything's headed. And God's in control, and he's working in human history to bring it to that point. And he wanted to remind Habakkuk, you may not understand what's going on, but you need to know I'm at work, I'm in control, and I'm bringing this to an ultimate conclusion where I will get glory. You see, even if you don't see it in your limited, finite thinking, God is at work. And he wanted Habakkuk to know that. But, but here's the hard part. You ready? God is on his own timetable. And that's tough. Because we want God to work on our timetable. Look what he says over in chapter 2, verse 3. He says... For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You know what he's saying there? I'm at work, but Habakkuk, it may be slower than you want it to be. But I'm at work. I'm not on your timetable. The vision will be completed at its appointed time. Time. If it seems slow, just wait. Be patient. But Habakkuk, I am at work. God is on his own on his own timetable. You see, when we're hurting, we want the pain to end immediately, right? But God's on his own timetable. And we have to trust him in his sovereign will. And we also see, as he reminds Habakkuk of his sovereignty, that he's sovereign over the kingdoms of this earth. Look what it says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 and following. I'm doing a work, Habakkuk, for, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, the Babylonians, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded, fearsome, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. More fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, they pile up, uh, for they pile up earth and take it. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God." What God is saying here is extraordinary. He's saying, Habakkuk, you know the the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, powerful, swift, strong, mighty. They're overthrowing all the other kingdoms. They destroyed Nineveh. Habakkuk, I'm raising them up. I'm the one that's giving them their strength at this moment in history. He's reminding Habakkuk that I'm the one that raises up kingdoms and casts down kingdoms. I'm in control of history. Which surely was comforting for Habakkuk to be reminded of. God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth. Hold your place, but turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Another wonderful chapter about God's sovereignty. Isaiah 40 verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Yes, God just called you a grasshopper. 
who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Notice that he brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth empty. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. God's reminding us there that he's the one that raises up kingdoms and he's the one that brings kingdoms to nothing to accomplish his sovereign will, to bring human history to a culminating point where everyone will recognize his glory. As you look at current events, I know things are crazy. Conflict over here and conflict over here and this nation doing this and this nation doing this. And and it would be easy for us to just wring our hands with concern. But Isaiah and Habakkuk remind us God's the one calling the shots. God's the one that raises up kings for his purposes. And God's the one that, that, that casts down kings for his purposes. Trust God in the midst of the chaos. Because he's in control. Now, if you would have gone to an Assyrian during the zenith of their reign and said... One day, the Assyrian Empire is going to be overthrown. They would have laughed at you. When Nebuchadnezzar ruled the the known world as the king of Babylon, if you would have gone to a Babylonian citizen and said, one day, the Babylonians are going to get overthrown by the Persians, they would have laughed at you. If you would have gone to the Medes and the Persians during their reign and said, one day, your kingdom is going to come to an end, they would have laughed at you. But one day the Romans overthrew them. If you'd have gone to Caesar during the height of the strength of the Roman Empire and said, say, said one day the Roman Empire will be no more, you'd have been ridiculed as foolish. But kingdoms come and go. It is God who calls the shots. God is in control of human history. You can trust him. And so the reason this book is so relevant, Habakkuk is so relevant for your life and my life, is because we are reminded in the midst of our troubles that God is sovereign. God is in control. A few years ago, Claire sent me on an air, and I was going to be up in an area of stores, and she asked me to go by and get some pillows. We needed some new pillows. And I'm not bragging, but... I bought the two most comfortable pillows I've ever laid my head on. They were wonderful. I, did some, I, did, I felt them and did some research, and, and I got some really good pillows. And since then, they got old. Since then, I've never found a pillow as good as one of those two pillows. It was wonderful. Don't you like a good, soft pillow at night? You know what Charles Spurgeon said about the sovereignty of God? Charles Spurgeon said, The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night. Giving perfect peace. You want to sleep well at night? Do you want perfect peace no matter what life throws your direction? Rest in the truth that God is sovereign. God is in control. And that anxiety can be replaced with peace that comes from knowing that God is calling the shots. 
There's a third reason that this book is so relevant for today's time. We can identify with Habakkuk's questions and we, we're reminded of God's sovereignty of all of life. But third, we can learn from Habakkuk's example. Habakkuk models something for us here that we need to heed, we need to learn. And here it is. When life causes you to ask tough questions, go to God who knows and cares. When life causes you to ask tough questions, go to God who knows and cares. Look what it says in verse 2. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Now notice there, he, he calls God Lord, and, and the, the, the word is spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Whenever you see in the Old Testament the word Lord spelled with all capital letters, that word Lord is referring to the divine name of God, sometimes pronounced Yahweh. And so Habakkuk here is not calling out to generic God. He's calling out to the covenant God of Israel. He's calling out to a God he has a relationship with. He's calling out to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. He's calling out to a God he knows. Our society will have no problem with you calling out to a generic God. But can I tell you when you're hurting, you don't need a generic God. You need the God of the Bible. You need the God that has revealed himself through his son Jesus Christ who came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins and is the only way to have a right relationship with the God of the universe. That's the God you need, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent his son Jesus. That's the God you need. The covenant God, the God that you can know personally through Christ. That's the God you need. And Habakkuk, in the midst of his desperation, goes to the God that he knows. He went to the Lord. Kenneth Barker writes, The very fact that Habakkuk took his complaints to God can help believers to be honest in prayer. Taking all our burdens to the Lord. Habakkuk's experience shows that God is willing to hear our needs and to help us deal with our problems, even when he does not answer in the way that we expect or in the way that we ask. So Habakkuk is an example of one in the midst of great desperation who runs to God. Yes, he had questions, but where did he take the questions? He took them to God. Can I submit to you that we should follow his example? Also, from his example, we learn this. We need to look to revelation instead of looking for explanation. We need to look to revelation instead of looking for explanation. And so Habakkuk asked, how long? And Habakkuk asked, why? Look how God responds in verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm, uh, I'm doing a work in your days, watch this, that you would not believe if told. Habakkuk, you want an explanation, it wouldn't do you any good. If I explained everything to you, you wouldn't believe it. If I explained it to you, you wouldn't be able to wrap your mind around it. Don't you know that I'm infinite God and you're finite man? You're not ready for an explanation. You can't handle an explanation, is what he's saying here to Habakkuk. And can I tell you this? It's a natural and appropriate thing to ask God the question, why? It's just part of being a human and knowing that God has the answers. But 
understand that everything's not going to be explained to you this side of heaven. And even when we get to heaven, we're going to understand things better by and by. I don't know that we'll ever be able to wrap our our minds around the mysterious and sovereign ways of God. Isaiah 55 Verses 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, uh, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So you say, wait, if everything's not going to be explained to me in this life, what should I do? When there's no explanation for your pain, go to Revelation. Go to what you do know. Go to what has been revealed in the Word of God. You may not understand why you're going through what you're going through, but you can cling to what you do know. Instead of dwelling on what you don't know, you can continually cling to what you do know revealed in God's Word. So wait, what do we know when we're going through painful circumstances? Well, we know that God's in control. We know that God is good. He always does the right thing. We know that God has promised to take everything in our life, the good and the bad, and use it for our ultimate good. And we may not get an explanation for why we're going through what we're going through, but we can cling to revelation. We can cling to the reality that God is in control, and God is on His throne, and God is always, 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 always good. When explanation is not forthcoming, cling to revelation. And God will use that to carry you through. Warren Wearsby says, God gave Habakkuk a revelation, not an explanation. For what we always need in times of doubt is a new view of God. The Lord doesn't owe us any explanations, but he does graciously reveal himself and his work to those who seek him. If you follow Habakkuk's example and go to the Lord in your hurt, God will draw near to you. And that's what you ultimately need. I read a story about Adoniram Judson and his third wife. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma in the 19th century. And his first two wives died in Burma of illness. Well, he married a third wife in 1846 by the name of Emily Chubbuck. Can you imagine that that proposal? Will you marry me and go back to Burma with me where my first two wives died? She did. She married him and went back to Burma with him. And she became the primary caretaker for Judson's two young sons that he had by his previous wife, Sarah. One night around one of these sons' third birthday, Edward was his name, Judson's new wife, Emily, heard Edward call out from his room. And he called out saying that he was afraid. So she went in and she comforted him and she prayed with this little three-year-old boy and then she left the room. But he still seemed agitated and still seemed anxious. And we have a touching description from Emily's hand as to what happened next. She writes, pretty soon, however, 
I heard him call out as though in great distress, Oh, Dodd. He couldn't say God, three-year-old boy. Oh, Dodd. The poor little fellow had not sufficient acquaintance with language to know what to say next. But this uplifting of the heart evidently relieved him, for in a few minutes after again, he called out, Oh, Dodd. But in a tone much softened. I stepped to the door, but hesitated about entering In a few minutes, he again repeated, Oh, Dodd. But in a tone so confiding that I thought I'd better go back to my room and leave him with his great protector. After hearing nothing further from Edward for some time, Emily finally went back to his room and she opened the door and she found him on his knees, fast asleep. Emily reported afterward, I have never heard him say a word since of being afraid. When you find yourself fearful, when you find yourself perplexed, most of the time you won't have the words. But can I encourage you just to cry out to God? It may be something as simple yet as profound as, Oh God! And that's the only words you can muster. But when you go to God with your questions, when you go to God with your hurts, God will draw near to you. That's what this little three-year-old boy discovered. And that's what Habakkuk discovered. And that's what we all need to discover. Yes, life is hard. Yes, life leaves us with many unanswered questions. But God is on His throne. And God is good. Let us be a people who cry out, Oh, God.